0: Some people uh, who are listening may wonder what this missions thing is all about. And it goes back to Jesus' Great Commission, we call it, where he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And this is our way of obeying him. In the first century, the apostles went out and preached the gospel. Paul, we have three so-called missionary journeys that Paul made around the center of the Roman Empire, establishing churches in all of those uh, major cities. And and then uh, the church went into a kind of a a self-absorbed phase, but then it began to spread again, and partly through missionaries, and some of them became martyrs, but then more and more the church, the spread of the church became established with the battles between countries. And so, a lot of the missionary outreach, if you will, of the church through the Middle Ages happened because of conflict. One country defeated another and they became a Christian country. And the church came in on the back of that. And then, through the uh, years Of the colonial period, the fifth, sixth, seventh, I mean, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, when the, the explorers were going all around the world, they were claiming land in the name of Britain, Spain, France, whatever, and wherever they went, the church went. And the church, that was a good thing, but it was also a partnership with an exploitive system, that colonial period of missions. Now, if you will, uh, Peter and Corrine Larson and Dick and Beverly Young are part of a new breed of missionaries. Now they're old dudes now. (laughs) But they were a new breed of missionaries who were gonna move out of that colonial model into a, a, a model that enabled churches to get started and taught leadership among the local people rather than keeping them subservient. And that was an important phase. Our speaker today, Lynette Young, grew up in the home of Dick and Bev. And so she learned about missions and grew to understand both the power of the gospel and also that it needed to be told in a different way for a new generation. And so that's where we are today. And we thank the Lord for the heritage behind us. But now uh, these people, the the, uh, Larsons, have a a child who is ending a career as a missionary in Indonesia. And their uh, other daughter is ending a career as a missionary in Altadena. And then uh, Dick Young has three children involved in ministry either overseas or locally, and they're all reaching out in a new way. Now, Jeanette is a, Lynette is a model for us today of how the future of missions is being fleshed out in her life, and I hope you give close attention. We've been proud to see her grow and emerge and become an independent person uh, with an independent point of view, and she has a message for us today. So after Brenda reads the scripture, uh, we're going to hear from our sister and a wonderful representative of the Lord in Uruguay, uh, Lynette Young.
1: Good morning, church. I'll be reading from Mark 7, 1 through 30. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus And saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews, these phones, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washings of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek-born in Syrian, Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want,' he told her, "'for it is not right to take the children's bread "'and toss it to the dogs.' "'Lord,' she replied,' Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. May the Lord add a blessing to this.
2: Good morning, church. Good morning. When I was um, preparing this this passage, um, I remembered a song that I learned. I didn't, I didn't grow up in the United States. I grew up in Argentina, now serving in Uruguay. Um, but we did spend um, every five years, we were one year in the United States. So uh, around when I was about six years old, I learned a song that goes something like this. Jesus loves the little doggies, all the doggies of the world. Is that correct? Am I remembering that right? Well, okay. I know, but this song came to my head when I was studying this passage. <laughs> I found the one passage that speaks positively about dogs in probably the whole Bible. <laughs> and if, if you are, um, if you see my Facebook page, uh, Uh, posts or my Instagram posts about 90% of them are of my dogs so you know Jesus does love the little doggies through me um uh, uh, I'm very glad about the Uruguayan culture how they love they love to have they they in Argentina a lot of people had dogs to to um guard their houses so they treated them horribly and and so they would be really mean but in Uruguay Dogs are your companions. And so I'm so glad I'm a missionary in Uruguay, not in Argentina for that. (laughs) Um, Because I agree with that. Um, So um, Jesus does love the little doggies, but he loves, um, he wants (laughs) um, people to come to know him more. And and love dogs also, but that's a secondary issue. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about the challenges of um, sharing the gospel in our different contexts, you know. uh, When we think about our, uh, when I think about the context in Uruguay, uh, Uruguay is a very secular country unlike the rest of Latin America. Um, It kicked out the Catholic Church many, over a century ago um, from the places of power it had as, um, it has in other countries in Latin America. And so it became an intentionally secular um, intention- a culture that intentionally rejects Christianity and rejects God. Um, and so, um, in that setting, when um, I'm now working with um, the Comunidad Bíblica Universitaria, it's the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students in the United States is called InterVarsity. We have our own in Uruguay, and it's called, it's CBU. Um, and I'm working with them, and, tr- and we're trying to reach university students. That's what I've been doing about, for about 80% of my time down there. Um, and the challenge is is that for us to how do you reach, how do you preach the gospel? How do you teach about Jesus in a secular setting? When you go to the universities, you cannot um, partake in religious ceremonies and activities um, on campus. And um, it is very common um, for Christian groups um, to try to do evangelism and then they get kicked out because they're overtly um, trying to encourage people to come to Jesus, and you can 't have religious activities on the campus and in our in our group, we want to bring Jesus to the campuses we want to bring the Word of God to the campuses. so we have spent years learning about how um, it 's been this whole process about how to bring Um, how to make the gospel relevant and how to be able to um, study the word and talk about Jesus in a secular context. That's my challenge. I don't know what your challenge is, what your context is, and that's where I hope that we can um, flesh out a little bit of um, what the scriptures tell us today about how... um, uh, the word of God is relevant and how do we respond to Jesus and how do we partner with Jesus in that process. Um, When we, uh, in the book of Mark, we're in Mark seven, this was the first gospel written and so, and it was written um, by Mark or John Mark who was a disciple of Peter. And he wrote it in the context of the city of Rome. And it's, Rome was a very cosmopolitan, moving, um, busy city. So he was the one who wrote the first gospel, and he got it out um, as quick as possible, and he wrote it for this context of these people that are constantly busy. So it's, it's actually a, a pretty good gospel for the generation, the... Uh, the, the um, the generations, today's generation where they, um, they can't concentrate for more than a few minutes. Well, you know, it's, uh, when you read Mark, it's like, oh, Jesus went and did this, and then he went and did this, and immediately he did this. It's kind of like an action novel. And so um, the three questions that um, Mark responds to, um, because he declares his thesis, he declares his purpose in the first um, verse of Mark 1. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Jesus, the son of God. Who is this Jesus? So the, the gospel responds to who is this Jesus? Um, what does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? And how does Jesus become the messianic king? So that's kind of his whole purpose in the, the, uh, presenting who is Jesus. And in these first chapters, we get to see how Jesus is Lord and has authority over sickness, over demons, um, over nature. Um, and we just have come from him being able to feed thousands of people, because they mentioned the 5,000, but they're only mentioning the men. They're not mentioning the women and the children. So there's at least 15,000 people <laughs> that he fed with a couple of loaves, <laughs> a couple of fishes. Um, And so they have discovered that Jesus is powerful and Jesus has authority and, um, and not just the people he's mostly he's mostly been doing his ministry in the area of Galilee. Um, it's kind of the poor district, um, the part, part of Judea where Jerusalem is, is kind of the more up and coming, um, part of, of, of the people of Israel at the time, um. And, But people from all over the place, from other nations, have come to hear about this amazing Jesus. In chapter 3 in Mark, we read about that and how they've come from, um, you know, Decapolis and Syria and, you know, all these different places, they've come to hear about this Jesus. So who is this Jesus? And we think many times of this Jesus as um, the one who... um, First and and mostly just concentrated on um, presenting and showing the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God to the Jewish people. And then he, when after he, um, well, right before he he, um, after he died and resurrected, and uh, before he ascended, he told his disciples that they were now, when the Holy Spirit would come, they would now go taking the gospel, teaching what he had taught them and teaching people and baptizing them in Judea, Samaria, where were some of the other, other places that he mentioned, to the ends of the earth, right? Starting where they were at and going to the ends of the earth. And I had this mentality that Jesus established that among just the Jewish people and there were a couple moments where um, you know, the Roman centurion had, it was a, a great man of faith, but he was in the, that region. Um, I believe he was in Galilee um, um, and he had come to see Jesus. But Jesus had a mini foreshadowing of what it means to go out to um, starting. Uh, he already started in, in Galilee and in Judea and he had gone into Samaria. And now he went into um, the Syrian part with this, which is Tyre and Phoenicia. Anyways, I'm terrible with, I can say all these things in Spanish. Um, So um, if you understand me, just, you know. Um, But from halfway through seven, it's the beginning of Jesus doing his little mini missions Where he, not only he's established, he's (coughs) preached the gospel, he's brought the kingdom of God through him to this, to the Jewish, Jewish people, and now from here he goes, um, he goes on a little, I I think he's trying to go on a, on a prayer retreat, that doesn't turn into a prayer retreat because people hear about him and seek him out, Uh, but then he goes over to the other side, um, of, of Galilee and crosses the Jordan into Decapolis. And then, you know, he's, he's, he's reaching out to these people. He's showing them by his actions what he later um, commanded them to do. So this is what, wasn't something that Jesus um, just sent them to do. He first lived it out. He first lived when it meant to take the gospel um, to other peoples other than starting with the Jews and then, um, because he had to establish, um, uh, he had to complete the revelation that God had begun in the Old Testament. The culmination of that revelation is in Jesus Christ and it was through the people of God that he revealed himself. And so he had to complete his revelation with the people of God. (laughs) But from the beginning, he told Abraham that he was going to do this, but for what purpose? Was just to bless the Jews? No, it was to bless all the nations of the world. So we are discovering that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as we read earlier in chapter 7, he's, um, he's the Lord of the Mosaic Law. He declares these foods that were un- un- unclean, he declares them clean, um, It's taking back um, the people of Israel to the time before um, sin entered into their relationship and they had to start, um, uh, you know, doing these sacrifices and, um, you know, uh, eating foods that were clean or unclean or washing and all of these ways. Jesus, in Jesus, that is all uh, completed. But he also is Lord, he starts to show that he is not just Lord of the Jews, but he's Lord of and Messiah of the whole world, right? And the thing that, that really struck me about this, who is this? Um, it says that she was a Greek um, Syrophoenician. The Syrophoenician, it's like um, this area is of Tyre and Phoenicia. It's like the southern end of what the Syrian... Um, uh, territory or nation. It was like the lower end of that, that, that um, it, it bordered with Galilee. And especially the city of Tyre um, was a place where it was a cosmopolitan city. Um, they were very well off. And in contrast, the Galileans were very poor. And it was a mostly agricultural country. Um, and this in, in Tyre and Phoenicia, they had big cities. Um, but there was this amazing. There was this bitter rivalry, especially between um, Tyre and Galilee. The the Ty- tyrans. Mm. You had a, How do you say it? Tyrians. Tyrians. Thank you. Um, I, if we were speaking Spanish, I would say it correctly. Well, you wouldn't know if I said it correctly or not. <laughs> um, and. Uh, but there was because there was this bitter rivalry because the Tyre, the tire Tyranians or whatever the people from Tyre looked down upon the Galileans because they were well off but they depended on the agriculture and the food that came from Galilee and so they were um, they couldn't survive one without the other but they both hated each other and so for Jesus to first start his his ministry of of breaking Um, (laughs) cross-cultural barriers, he goes to the worst part, (laughs) he goes to the most shocking part of, um, I mean, he could have gone to, I mean, even even the Sumerians were better liked than the people from Tyre, for for the Galileans. so um, when he goes to this area, and people, remember, people had already heard about him had come to Galilee to hear his teachings, to experience him healing. And so this woman, probably that heard from all of these stories of the people that had gone back to Tyre and told her about it, she hears Jesus has come to town. Um, And the passage says that um, Jesus went there. um, He said he... He went away to the region. he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know he was there yet he could not escape notice. Poor guy. he was too popular and he tried to have a little you know spiritual retreat with his disciples. We know his disciples are there because they're telling the story. Um, Peter probably told the story to mark they don't they're they it doesn't mention the disciples here, but they wouldn't know that this happened unless they were there. So they were there in this situation. And this woman who says, um, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. She was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She was a, a Hellenic... Um, she was a Greek-speaking woman. She was probably upper class. She was not just well-to-do. She was probably upper class because she was an independent woman. She, she acted on her own, and she, could, she, didn't have, um, she didn't have to have a husband there. She was probably a businesswoman. She was probably a very well-off woman. And she comes to seek Jesus out, to seek this Jesus who's from the backwaters of Galilee. But even though she, by class, is a higher class, you know, with more money and more status, she comes and bows down to Jesus and begs Jesus to help her. Because she knows, um, she's picked up, probably on the social cues, that Jesus was trying to have a spiritual retreat. (laughs) He was trying to be alone with his disciples. He was trying to rest. And this woman... Comes in and interrupts and how does my, my brother in law um, talks about uh, personal space? I experience American culture through my brother in law um, you know or too much information you know I, I learn all of these TMI I learn all of these things from Glenn um, because I am not that way i 'm more like what this woman did, but just naturally get I get in people 's faces i show up at their houses. <laughs> I'm very Latin American. <laughs> um, but this is something this woman wouldn't have done naturally. And for her to come and interrupt and, um, and beg Jesus and fall down on her knees, show humility, this woman um, showed an amazing faith in Jesus who she had just heard about but she knew from what she had heard that Jesus had power and Jesus could help her daughter. And it's interesting because um, initially it seems like Jesus's response is insulting, right? Um, I remember when I first read this, I kind of went right past it and I wanted to avoid it because I was uncomfortable with it when Jesus said, Um, when she's she begged him to cast out the demon of her daughter he said let the children be fed first for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs and she understood that he's talking about the children of God the Jews it is not fair to take to to he came to do these miracles among the Jews and it is not fair to do these miracles um, to take away this what this spiritual food and from the Jews um, and and give it to the dogs, which um, in starting from the Old Testament, uh, dogs are associated with um, murderers and um, uh, I think prostitutes and um, uh, you know the worst of the class and the in in this time they called Gentiles those in in the region of of, of um, Israel um, Gentiles who lived in Judea or in Judea and Galilee were called dogs disrespectively. Dis, uh, I'm I'm trying to say a word in Spanish, but you understand me, but. There, it is, is a, it's an insult. And so I read this, and I was like, geez, they come, this woman comes to beg for help, and Jesus says, you're a dog. You know, you're a dog. You know? and, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you've got to learn from, you know, go through some, some training on how to be you know, uh, culturally appropriate, and you don't say these things. You're, you, know, you don't, hello, and insult the other person. I might do it. Um, but just because I speak English in a bad way. Oh, my English is so bad. Anyways, I'm sorry. I, I, I like speaking in Spanish. <laughs> uh, but here, I, you know, we, what we don't see in this passage is, um, is, is how Jesus acted, you know, 70% of communication is nonverbal, So we don't see, we don't see Jesus, I mean, did he, like, like, was he, like, winking at her or, like, he was making, like, in some ways, kind of a, it seemed like it was an insult, it seemed like it was a rejection, but he was challenging her because he wasn't saying that she was a dog as far as um, a, a wild dog, a mangy dog, Last night, we almost ran into three um, coyotes, and they look so mangy. You know, they, you don't go, ooh, little, cute, little, you know, coyotes. No, they don't, they don't, well, I don't know, maybe some of you love coyotes. <laughs> I'm sorry if I've offended you. Um, but, you know, it, 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 they don't uh, inspire, oh, you know, well, you want to just hug a coyote. No, it's a mangy dog. It's a mangy animal. It's wild. It's it's. It will attack you. It, it's a fierce dog. Uh, when we were kids in Argentina, we would go bike riding in the neighborhood, and um, the Argentines the, in our neighborhood, the people that had taken on dogs, but then they didn't want to feed them or something, they would just let the dogs go. Mm-hmm. So the dogs on the streets would, would join in packs, mm-hmm. and they'd kind of go, they'd, they'd revert to their kind of wolf state, and and we're out riding our bikes, you know, a group of friends, and all of a sudden, you know, this pack of 20 dogs is coming after
1: us.
2: (laughs) And we had to run for our lives. Those are the kind of disrespective dogs that they talked about when they talked about the Gentiles. But Jesus uses the diminutive, doggies. That's why Jesus loves the little doggies, right, right? That's why the song came to my head it's the it's the it's a house dog I, I was so glad to hear that they they had house dogs because I have a couple house dogs they loved their house dogs their dogs and, you know um, lived with them you know they slept with them they were around the table when they ate and they ate the crumbs that fell off the table and so when Jesus says this he's not rejecting her, he's challenging her, because yes, he first came to establish the kingdom of God amongst the Jews, but it was to um, bless all the nations, and she, um, she doesn't, uh, I I love her example because she doesn't um, get scared by the seeming rejection, she doesn't shut down, she doesn't, grow cold or leave. She continues in this dialogue. She continues in this kind of game with Jesus. She continues to relate to Jesus and, and talk with him. And she says uh, in verse 28, Sir, or Lord, showing him respect, even the doggies, it should say doggies. <laughs> your, your translation is incorrect. Even the doggies under the table eat the children's crumbs. And she knew that she was saying to Jesus, yes, you had to first come and set establish, you know, the culmination of the kingdom of God, the, the revelation of God in, with the Jews. But even now, we, are, we can receive the blessings from you. We don't have to wait till after you establish. We can receive from the crumbs uh, we, we have a right to receive from you because you came to love the world. She understood Jesus in a deeper way than even the, even the Jews who, in the disciples that were with Jesus did. So Jesus says to her, for saying this, um, in the Matthew parallel passage, it says, because of your great faith, she understood That Jesus came, um, not just for the Jews, but also to love the whole world. But she was the beginning of this. And Jesus commended her, um, congratulated her, for saying this, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. But the other thing that she does, she doesn't question Jesus. She has just met Jesus. But she knows that he is powerful and his word is enough. And she immediately goes home and finds the, that the demon has gone. She has an amazing, persevering, continuing in the dialogue. <laughs> Even when she might have felt rejected, she continued to, to in some ways, get in Jesus' face. To, she didn't give up um, in relating and, and, and continue seeking for his help even though it seemed like it was hard at one point. The other contrast is earlier in the passage we have um, the Pharisees who were constantly going around trying to um, trip up Jesus you know, trying to find something. Um, they weren't there to learn from Jesus. They weren't there to learn from God and how Jesus could show new light into the law and what it meant to follow God with all your heart, soul, and mind, they had slowly, little by little, the Pharisees and the scribes, in a slow process, because I don't think it happened from one day to another, um, but um, uh, he said, they say, um, the passage says, when they, questioned Jesus, uh, when they questioned Jesus about his disciples because they didn't wash their hands correctly and so what they were eating wasn't clean. And um, he ends up declaring that all foods are, are clean but he said, what is the, at the heart of the issue? Well, what is at the heart? What is at the center is your heart? Because he said, you are just like in, in what it said in Isaiah, right? Um, I'm trying to look for that. Oh, I'm going to look it up. I can't see the screen. Acá tenemos marcos. See, I can... Podemos ir al marco siete. Ay, alguna de ustedes me entienden. A few people understand me, right? Ah, muy bien. It says... Isaiah rightly prophesied about you hypocrites, as as it it is written: "The people um, honors this people honors me with their lips, but with their hearts, but their hearts are far away from me." And when Jesus healed the paralytic, um, when he first forgave him of his sins, um, and the the Pharisees and the scribes that were there, mm, they 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 doubted in their hearts. They grumbled in their hearts. Their, the issue came from their hearts, where their hearts were at with the Lord, um, and it, it says, "But their hearts are far away, f- uh, are far from Me. In vain uh, do they worship Me, teaching human precepts and doctrines." Um, as they little by little, instead of continuing to engage in dialogue with with God, with His Word, and trying to figure out. What does it mean to follow God in these new contexts? As the, as the people of God, as, as Israel went through their, their different um, nations, conquering them, and right now they're under the rule of the Roman Empire, and these, the Pharisees and the scribes were entrusted with teaching the law to the people. But little by little, they went farther and farther away from the commandments of God, from the word of God, and they started replacing it with human rules, with human ways of understanding, not with God way of understanding. And he says, you abandon the commandments of God and hold to human tradition. You have a fine way of rejecting my commandments. So they not only, it started, the issue started in their hearts. They started not trusting, See, I, I, see these, I see the Syrophoenician woman and the Pharisees and I, I see amazing trust in the Syrophoenician woman who just heard, had recently heard about Jesus and she trusted that he was powerful, that he was Lord, he was Messiah. They doubted. But they've been doubting for generations now. They've been slowly doubting the word of God that the word of God is relevant, that the word of God has something to say to my context right now, has stuff to challenge me and encourage me. The word of God is living. They had forgotten that. But this woman, she had a relationship of trust with very little knowledge. In some ways, they had so much more knowledge, but they Uh, What is the verse? Lean not on your own understanding. You're supposed to finish the the verse um, for me. Trust trust the Lord with all your heart. And he will direct your path. Thank you. It starts with leaning not on our understanding. And at this point, the Pharisees were only leaning on their understanding. It was like this slow progression, right? They started with a few rules and they added a couple more human rules and then they added a couple. And these human rules ended up, as Jesus says, nullifying, rejecting God's commandment. And he gave an example. You can read it. Well, Brenda read it so wonderfully. Uh, but this woman was seeking out this, this Messiah, this God of the scriptures and she continued, she was willing to dialogue, even though she felt rejected, possibly initially rejected, she continued in the dialogue. What did the Pharisees do? They continued arguing with him. They continued closing their hearts to him to the point where a group of them plotted to kill him, right? We do know later on, I mean, Nicodemus, there are some Pharisees and scribes that come to faith, but they, but. The, the majority of them close their hearts to Jesus. So as, as, as we think of what it means to share the gospel, I think what's at the heart of this is, do I trust that the word of God that was written, you know, Old Testament how many thousands of years ago, and New Testament a couple thousand years ago, that the word of God is relevant today? And it's relevant to my context. And my context is different than your context. Um, I was talking earlier with Pastor George about this, you know, secular context. Okay, we can't worship God. We can't have overtly um, religious activities. But we discovered by law, we can't talk to God. We can't have, like, worship service or, you know, bring our guitar and sing. No. We can't overtly sit there and pray for the campus, no. But we can talk about God. We can have intellectual discussions about God as you can have intellectual discussions about anything, right? So we have continued and to have Bible studies on the campuses, in the cafeterias, in the places where people study. We're having Bible studies we're studying the Bible, but also in a way um, we don't bring our Bible so that, you know, people are like, oh, you you're the, those Christians. Once they see, it, you, talk about, you start talking about God and they immediately want to reject you. So we have to do all of these things, build these bridges of dialogue and, you know, how to continue to dialogue with people, how to open dialogue instead of causing that rejection that, just, that people just um, glaze over and stop listening to you, right? But we can, so we we take the scripture on a piece of paper and somebody facilitates a Bible study. You know, a few of you who are in a varsity, you know about that. We, somebody doesn't come to preach at people, but to enter into a conversation around who Jesus is. So we are bringing Jesus to the campus. And just this last year, I remember we were sitting around and we were just being fascinated by by. Um, Who Jesus was and how he declared so clearly that he was God and how either you had to think he was crazy, either you think he's crazy or um, or you have to submit to him and say, yes, Jesus is Lord. I mean, just by what he said. And this guy comes, you know, he was here in our, we were talking about it and he came up to our table and we were in the cafeteria and he said, you know, I read the the gospels and I think that Jesus was just a prophet. Fit. and he entered into our conversation, and we just kind of naturally had a conversation with him for the next 20, 30 minutes, and then he was like, oh, thank you very much, that was very nice, and he got up and left, and, we, and the whole time inside, we were all like, oh, we're having a conversation with the non he came, you know, like, we're, we're all praying, and, you know, and trying to not, and we're trying to act all like, yeah, we're cool, but inside, we were all nervous, um, but that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be um, followers of Christ. We're trying to um, trust that his word is relevant to us and bring that relevance and bring that search and that dialogue to people who don't know Jesus. Show this, this faith in Jesus. It's, it's, it's faith. It's sincere faith, but we don't have all the answers right? We're in a process. And one of our challenges right now is that we've done all of this work on how to enter into the secular context. And so we're having Bible studies and, and people are coming to know Jesus, praise God. But now this new generation of students came in. And they're another culture, what do they call gen something? whatever gen z gen i'm not sure they after gen z where do you go you know like do you start again whatever and this new generation is another generation and we're oldies you know the people who have been with the movement with the student movement for years and it was painstaking work to figure out how to um, communicate the gospel to this context and now our context is changing <laughs> So our process continues. Do we, do I, do we trust that the word of God is relevant to this new gener- generation? How is it relevant? I don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. But the word of God does through the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit as we dialogue, as we, as we you know, um, as we have these hard talks with God, <laughs> and sometimes get really frustrated and not have the answers, uh, the answers are there. So my challenge to you is: what con- what challenging contexts are you in? As a church, you know, in this neighborhood, in your families, in your work places, in your schools, what? What, what are the challenging contexts? What are the issues? What does the word of God say to these things? But how do I communicate that in a way that opens dialogue and doesn't cause rejection? Oh my gosh, it is. It is hard work. And sincerely, you, your, your answer might be, I don't know how it's relevant. But that, that's sincere. But all we have to do is tell Jesus, I believe you, but help me in my Mm unbelief. Help me walk with you. Help me learn from you on how to bring the light of the world to my context. Because those people we are around need to hear about Jesus, need to discover Jesus, need to discover it for themselves in their time. I'm so glad to be working with university students because they are in a time of their life where they're questioning, they're they're asking those difficult questions so that it's much easier to engage in these kind of conversations. I have been working, in July it'll be 20 years, um, since I went, can you believe that? I'm still young. I'm Lynette Young, Uh, that's why I haven't gotten married. I'm still young. Um, and my, uh, when I moved there, my parents lived in this house, and they knew that there were families on the street that had been there for several generations I knew my parents, and I would go over and wash my clothes, and Christmas, and so they knew me. So we started talking, I kind of started learning their names, and about, and about, Four or five years ago, I, I actually had their names. They actually told me their names. It, it only took what? 15 years of knowing them. And as of last year, we started. There are three families that they have been on that street for about at least three generations. And there are three best friends um, Ivana, uh, Natalia, and um, Estela. And they're best friends. They, I mean, they used to create mayhem in their um, adolescent in their youthful years together, and so they have all these fun stories. Well, they are all uh, about my same age, so they have adopted me as one of them, as one of the established people because everybody else in the street is either renting or just bought something, but, or they don't hang out. These people love to hang out, but it's taken them almost 20 years for them to invite me to come over and hang out. This is work with adults in Uruguay. But we are hanging out. And we are having barbecues together. We, we started having barbecues on the sidewalk. It's really fun. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, and the, the rest of the neighbors were starting to include the other neighbors. Uh, before the pandemic, I had done this through the The dogs the people who own dogs and in the pandemic people moved out and dogs passed away and that that whole kind of that whole people group changed so I was kind of left without a people group and this these three um best friends they're the ones who take care of my dogs when I'm away for a weekend they love my dogs and um I I love their animals too and we well love you know and, um, and that was actually my first, um, talking about um, puentes, bridges of contact. The, what solidified my relationship, especially with Ivana and Jorge, this, this couple, um, was I asked for help. Hmm. Sometimes that is more powerful than offering help, is asking for help. And once I asked for help, that opened the door for them growing deeper with me. But that, um, and we're starting to have really wonderful conversations. And it's just coming up naturally. And my versículo my, uh, lema, uh, my key verse, I'm not sure how you say that in English, um, that I live by. You know, my, my Spanish speakers have to help me out here. Favorite my favorite verse. Oh yeah, it doesn't quite sound the same. You got to learn Spanish. Um, is First um, Peter uh, 3.15. Where it says, "Always be ready to give the reason of the hope you have in Jesus." You know, do it uh, with—I don't know what it says in English. Gentileza with gentility? No, with be anyways. With with gentleness. You know, do it respectfully, right? Don't bash, you know, heads. But always be ready. That is the. That is what evangelism means in Uruguay, you have to go live, you know, be a Jesus person, love Jesus, be in the word, around people, and then they start picking up on this, and they start asking you about it, and once they ask you, you have permission to speak. With the neighbors, it takes 20 years for them to invite you over. Um, With the university students, it's a little quicker, you know, it might take uh, eight months. but that's our challenge. How do we create, how do we trust God? How do we trust in our hearts that the word of God is, is true, is relevant? How do we bring the gospel? And it's not an easy answer. It's, a, it's one we struggle with. It's one we have to try, and then we might fail, and then we try something else, and we've got to talk with somebody who's trying things. But let's, let's, again, give our lives to Jesus today and say, I trust you. Help me walk with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being el camino, la verdad y la vida, the way, the truth, and the life. That walking with you is a way. It's a, it's a process. Thank you that for your patience, in that you deeply love us and deeply love those who yet don't know you. Help us to be attentive to you at work, at how you are at work in people's hearts and minds. And I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in our hearts and our minds, that we would not lean on our own understanding or on human understanding, but grab on to the power of Jesus, the redeeming power of Jesus to transform lives through you. I want to be a part of that work, Lord. We want to be a part of that. Help us to walk with you. And sincerely, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. In the name of Jesus, amen.